God richly bless both the reading and the hearing of his holy word. Now, uh, the title that is given to this psalm, it's, it's a simple title, it's simply called A Prayer of David, and, uh, which means David is the author, and even though it's composed as a song, it's really, really written in the form of a, of a prayer. And certainly as you glean from specific portions, specifically verses 3 and 6, you could call this a prayer for God's grace. In fact, look at verse 3. David says, Be gracious to me, O Lord, uh, for you, uh, for to you I do cry all the day. And then in verse 6, he says, Give ear to my prayer, listen to my plea for grace. So since this is a prayer of David, I think it's, 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 it's helpful and probably accurate to say that it is specifically a prayer for grace. Uh, now, verse 14, in verse 14, he gives us a sense of what's taking place or has taken place in his life. In verse 14, he references a group of, of insolent and ruthless men who seek his life. And ultimately, in verse 17, he requests uh, that God would give a sign of his favor so that those who hate him will be put to shame. So essentially what David is asking for in this prayer is he is praying for God's grace as he deals with whatever else is going on, but more specifically as he deals with those who seek to put his his life to an end. Now, but I I find what I find interesting about this particular psalm is that uh, David, in the midst of this challenge, whatever this physical challenge is where uh, the men who are seeking his life, in the midst of his challenge, David has a concern that in spite of the external threat, uh, he, he has a concern that he would conduct himself in the right way. And, and we'll show that in a moment. And basically what he does in the body, and, and especially in the, the, the text that we've chosen, verses 11 and 12, essentially what David does in this passage is he exemplifies what I would consider to be both a healthy and a humble self-analysis. And in this uh, self-analysis, this introspection as it were, uh, there is something that I think we can extract for a brief meditation as we look at the end of one year and anticipate, and we don't, certainly don't want to be presumptuous, we can't say we made it over yet because we haven't, and, um, and there are some that are waiting and have the corks already ready to pop and won't make it. So we don't want to presume anything. Uh, but we will say that as we look at the end of one year and uh, anticipate a new year that is to come, from David's introspection, from his prayer, this, his humble prayer for, uh, and, and his self-analysis, healthy self-analysis, and I can't stress that enough because we have unhealthy self-analysis. We have what one friend refers to as navel-gazing, where we are just all just bent on the inside, just looking in, and that's, that's not a pretty sight, by the way. So this is a healthy introspection on the part of David, and I would argue that it provides for us a healthy reflection on the year that was, as well as uh, it gives us a good perspective uh, and a God-glorifying anticipation 
on the year that is dawning before us. So what I want to do briefly, and I do say that briefly, um, I'm almost forced to do so since we've had an abbreviated uh, order of service that I feel almost, I, I almost have to become Episcopalian. <laughs> I have a, a good friend or a church that I, I preach for, an Episcopal church in uh, Birmingham, and they usually give me leverage to, to preach however long I need to, but they say, but we're used to 20-minute sermons. <laughs> and, and so that could be a good thing. You know, that, that could be a good thing. But what I want to do is let, just briefly look at, extract three things from what David says here to shape our perspective as we review the year that was and anticipate the year that is before us. In the first place, um, I want to call attention to David's expression, the expression of his heart. He gives us really the expression of his heart in verse 11, where he says um, that I may walk in your truth. Amen. That I may walk in your truth. And then at the end of verse 12, he says, and I will glorify your name. So in essence, we could say that, that what David, the expression of his heart, the intent or the aim of his heart is to walk in the truth of God and to glorify God's name. Now tell me, isn't that or shouldn't that be the aim of every Christian for every day that the Lord grants us breath, that we would walk in the light of God's truth and that we would consciously seek to, uh, to glorify God's great name. Now, what David says here actually corresponds to other things that we read in the New Testament. It's very similar in terms of the light of the, or in terms of the exhortation. Ephesians 4, verse 1, for instance, Paul exhorts us to walk in a manner that is worthy of the vocation to which you have been called. And again, that should be our, our, daily ops, our, our daily aim. It should be our, our daily goal that we would walk worthy of the vocation to which you have been called. Uh, we've been going over this verse in our Sunday school lesson, and we've made the point very clear that we don't walk in order to get. But Paul uses our position, our standing with God, because um, Brother Milton, because of justification, because God has, has justified us, uh, Paul is not saying walk worthy so that you can, but rather he is saying since you have received, since you have been called into this grace, walk in a manner that is worthy of it. And then later in chapter 5 of Ephesians verses 1 and 2, he says to be imitators, be imitators of God, and love, notice this, as beloved children. That, again, that's what he's saying. Walk, walk like you are. Like, walk, walk in the light of who you are. Walk, he says, uh, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, even as Christ has loved us and gave himself for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. So it should be our desire, as David expresses here, it should be our desire to, and it should be our daily aim to walk in the light of God's word of grace. 
when you say to walk in uh, to walk in your in your word to walk to walk in a manner that that reflects the light of God's word of grace. And what is the word that we walk in light of? What is how, what, what do we walk in light of? We walk in light of the fact that He says you are free. We walk in the light of the fact that He says you are forgiven. We walk in the light of the knowledge that God says that, that there's no condemnation. So what he's saying in essence, and what, what David is saying, and I think it, it should be, and if it, it wasn't, and certainly as we look back on the year that, that was, we can think of those days where that wasn't always our aim. And we'll address some of that. Whatever we prepare for the upcoming year, and you know, I, I'm not one to make resolutions, and I think Christians ought to you know, not to say that it's not Christian to make resolutions, but as you make resolutions, I think we ought to understand the word of, of, of repentance. Uh, repent, sometimes instead of resolutions, we need to repent. And, 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 and that's, that's what my, my point there, you see. Uh, but, but we make promises of what we will do and, and whatever else. But, but as we anticipate the days that are before us, I pray that each of us, not only tonight, but, and not only tomorrow, I, I saw this thing on the internet where it showed um, the gym, uh, you know, gyms on January 2nd, and it had the gyms all packed, and then it shows the gym on July 2nd, and you can get a spot anywhere in the gym. Well, I pray that our goal, our, our aim as we go from day to day would be to walk in light of God's word of grace. I pray that it would be our aim on a daily basis to walk, to, to, to have God's word uh, govern our thoughts and govern our actions. And I pray that it would be our aim that wherever it is that we are, whatever it is that we do, Whatever else we prepare, whatever else we plan, whatever else we desire, that as we get ready to go, that it would be our great aim to glorify God's name. Think about it. Think about your checklist as you get ready to go out the house on the morning, as in the mornings when you get ready to go to work. Do I have, is my hair done? Is, is, you know, am I looking good? Am I, am I, am I dressed right? Do I have the, do I have the, the works that I need? Do I have, do I have my briefcase? Do I have, you know, do I have my tools? Do I have everything? And oh yeah, let me make sure that when I go and face this, that, that I'm carrying God's name and our goal. Because you are, brothers and sisters, you are. You, you are a living advertisement for God's glory. Now, question, now we know that all ads are not good, right? <laughs> Every commercial is not good. They're, they're, all commercials are not equal. I love commercials, by the way, uh, when they're good. Uh, but every commercial is not good. And so we should, it should be our daily aim to walk not only in light of God's truth, but also to seek to consciously bring glory to his great name because his name is attached to us. And so what David says here should be the goal of every Christian. But here's the second thing. We see also in David's words here, we see what I would call an implied confession. An implied confession. He, he gives us his aim and his goal. His aim and his goal is seen in verse 11, to walk in the truth of God, to walk in the truth of what God has said, and to, to, to glorify God's great name. That's, that's his goal, and that ought to be our goal. 
but also there seems to be a hint of a confession. In other words, in verse 11, David says this, Unite my heart to fear your name. Now, notice the connection. Now, of course, a couple things we need to, to clarify here. First off, when the scripture uses the term fear, fear usually means one of two, if not both things. One, it means dread. In other words, to be afraid, like a scary movie. That's, that's fear, dread. Uh, another uh, use of the word fear is reverence. And, and that means to, to revere. And when it comes to a thrice holy God, and when it comes to an innately sinful human creature, both of those things have its place. In other words, we should be afraid. If we are sinners, we should be afraid of God. We should be afraid of the light. But what God does when he brings us to a saving, into a saving relationship, he tells us, that's, that's where, again, his word, understanding his truth, walking in his truth is so important. What God does is he removes the dread. And, because, and, and by the way, the reason there is dread and there should be dread from sinful men in the presence of a holy God is because we're guilty. And, and, and therefore, we stand, if we stand guilty before him, we have every reason to be afraid. But what God says is he's given us grace, and in his grace, he's forgiven us. And so therefore, for the children of God, we no longer dread him. We don't, and we shouldn't. And if we do, well, then we need to work on understanding the truth that God has revealed to us. But, but that's why John says, perfect love casts out fear. That doesn't mean you are no longer afraid of boogeymen. You might still be afraid of boogeymen, but it's better to be afraid of a boogeyman, whether he exists or not, and not to be afraid of God. Because those that he has called into his grace, he has removed that dread. And brothers and sisters, I know so many Christians that are working their fingers to the bone. And, 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 and every time the church doors are open, they are there. And it's not out of reverence, it's out of dread. And I want to just tell them, go home. Just don't. Just don't show up. Because if you're doing this because you are afraid of him, then you don't really understand what it means to serve him. You see, because you can, if you are serving him to assuage your dread of him, your dread has just begun. You haven't seen him yet. And there is, just as we sung, there is, there's, there's nothing that our hands can do to meet the demands of God's law. And it's only by meeting the demands of God's law that you don't have a reason to be afraid of him. And so we as Christians don't dread God. We don't fear the judgment day. We don't fear him coming back and judging the world in righteousness and truth. And you know why we don't dread him? Because he has told us. That condemnation has been removed. And perfect love casts out fear. And the fear that it is cast out is the fear of God in terms of dread. But what God does allow us to have is a holy reverence for him. And so when David speaks here of, of unite my heart to fear your name, what he is saying is, Lord, unite my heart to have reverence for your name. Remember, we said from verse 12 that it is his, da it is his daily aim to 
uh, to, to, to glorify the great name of God. So on the one hand, we need to understand that when David says, unite my fear, or unite my heart to fear your name, we, we need to understand what is meant by fear. But also, secondarily, before we actually explore this thought here, because I think this is a confession. Well, also what David is acknowledging here as a believer, he says, reverence, teach me or unite my heart to fear your name. And here, by heart, he is speaking of the central part of man, which composes both our intelligence, in other words, our, our mind, as well as our affections. David is basically saying, Lord, unite my, my heart. And so let's look at that word united means. The Hebrew word that's translated here as, as, uh, as unite is the same thing as the English word unite, and that is to bring together. What David is basically saying, I think this is a confession because it might be his intention to walk in the light of God's, uh, of God's truth. And it might be his intention to, uh, to, to glorify God's name. However, circumstances like people seeking his life can sometimes distract the intent of the heart. Let me put it this way. Mike Tyson, when he was in his heyday, when he was knocking people out in first, second, and third round. And people would say, well, Mike, what do you think uh, his plan is? Why, why don't you think fighters have better game plan against you? And Mike Tyson had this great statement. He says, everybody has a game plan until they get hit. <laughs> yeah. Everybody has a game plan until you get hit. <laughs> and here's the truth of the matter. David's game plan was to walk in the light of God's truth. David's game plan when he left the house was to glorify God's name. Then he got hit with adversaries. And sometimes adversaries can change a game plan. <laughs> you know, some, sometimes not just adversaries. But sometimes circumstances, sometimes a doctor's visit can change your game plan. Sometimes being cut off in traffic, you know, you, you, you leave your morning devotion, right? You're singing hymns in your car. And then all of a sudden, a Miami driver. <laughs> and it can change your game plan. Sometimes going into work, you're excited. And instead of getting the promotion, you got the pink slip. Everybody has a game plan until they get hit. And sometimes we get hit with sin against us. Sometimes we get hit with bad news from all sources. Uh, I think of, and my heart continues to go out for Brother Milton and, and Brother McDonald, who in very brief periods of time lost more than one loved one. 
siblings within the same calendar year. I think of my mother-in-law years ago that uh, she, she, her, her brother died, or a brother that lived close to her died, and within months another brother died, and then another brother died, and her mother died. In, within a, a, a nine-month span, I think she lost like four or five close relatives, a mother and, and three brothers. You see, everybody has a plan. Everyone plans to glorify God. Everyone wants to walk in the light of his truth. Until we get hit, until we get hit with adversity or we get hit with conflict. And at that point, our hearts want to lead us in a different direction. Our hearts get distracted by any number of competing affections. And so instead of glorifying God's name, sometimes. We consciously curse God's name. Instead of, instead of walking in the light of his truth, sometimes we consciously walk contrary to it because we're driven by something else. Our hearts are fickle. The Lord says in Jeremiah, the heart is deceitful and wicked above all things. Who can know it? And brothers and sisters, who can govern it? And so David is confessing that I do want to, I, 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 it is my intention to walk in the light of your truth. And it is my intention to, to glorify your great name. But these rascals are still at my door. In the first few days, I could handle them. And I was praying, but now my prayers have gotten a little shorter. Now my patience has gone in a different direction. And maybe I'm more driven by self-vindication than I am by glorifying your name. Maybe I'm looking to justify myself more than I am to glorify your name. Maybe I am looking to get revenge. And I am more driven by revenge than by glorifying your name. Brothers and sisters, if we don't see that as us, I know what we like to think, that I just, you know, I just walk in his light and I just glorify him. No, no, that's... If that were the case, we wouldn't have half the New Testament. This is why the Apostle Paul tells the Corinthian believers, those that were suing one another, and, and he's, I love the way Paul says it, he's not even questioning who's right or who's wrong in the matter. He raises this question. Why are you not willing to be cheated so that God's name could be glorified? See, why, why aren't you willing to take a loss? Why, see, brothers and sisters, our hearts can be distracted the Apostle Paul says in Romans 7, he says, I, 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 I do want to do good. I, there is good that I want to do. But here is my experience. The good that I would do, I don't do. And the very evil thing that I know I ought not do is the very thing that I find myself doing. Is it his desire? Is it his aim to walk in the light of God's truth? Sure it is. 
No one in the New Testament understands the doctrine of God's free grace like Paul. No one understands what it means to be set free from the bondage of law-keeping as a means of being justified before God. No one understands that better than Paul. No one understands that he is not only identified in Christ and, uni uh, and, and united with him by faith, but also understanding that he is now at one with God because of his faith in Christ. He knows, in fact, he goes on to say, there is now, now, at this point, no condemnation. And he says, there's nothing that can separate me from that great knowledge. But yet, he acknowledges that his heart is not always what it ought to be. And so he says, therefore, I, I want to do right, but sometimes, Lord, I... The evil that I should not do is the very thing that I find myself doing. And why is it that we do anything that we do? Why is it that we, we choose to go where we go and do what we do? In fact, back up a little uh, a bit, and, and, and it's not only why do we do the things that we do, but we also consciously refrain from doing certain things. I had a friend when I used to work in the studios, and he was just always, uh, always starting stuff, but... Uh, he went up, uh, he, he spoke to a guy that was passing by, uh, working on a particular uh, show, and he had known him for years, and he spoke to him, and the guy didn't say anything. And then he went over to him again, he spoke again, he said, look, man, I saw you if I wanted to speak to you. <laughs> Sometimes the words we speak, as well as the words we refrain from speaking, are very intentional. And here's what our goal and what it ought to be. In every situation, in every circumstance, will we be sinned against? Sure we will. Will we, be, will we actually wrestle with our own sin? Absolutely. Will we be disappointed in this life? Absolutely. But here's what David is praying for, and here's what he's confessing. His confession is the knowledge that sometimes, yes, I do, big picture, I do want to walk in your truth. But sometimes it's better for me in my flesh to walk in my flesh. My mother used to put it this way. She said, well, you know, I can't, she said, well, beating them is not, not going to make a difference, but it'll at least give me satisfaction if I could. <laughs> I, I just want to beat on him a little bit because at least that ain't going to help anything, but it'll at least give me some satisfaction. And sometimes we are seeking satisfaction in the wrong places. And so I think what David is confessing here when he says, unite my heart so that I unite my heart to fear you. Don't let my, my heart get sidetracked by the shiny objects of self-promotion and the shiny objects of self-satisfaction in those things that are contrary to your word and to your law. Don't let me be happy in being messed up in Adam. Unite my heart. James talks about the double-minded man that is unstable in all of his ways. And so David is simply confessing, Lord, 
I am prone to be double-minded. Here's, and I, I think we would do well, by the way, to recognize such a confession. Let's look back on, nine, on 2018. Let's look back on the year that was. And has not our heart been led astray by some shiny objects? Aren't there some opportunities that we let go? Because it wasn't our, it, it, it may have been in our heart's best interest to glorify God, but we wanted a little satisfaction on our own. Well, that brings us to a third thing and third and final thing. And that is this confession that I think is a confession on the part of David is the basis of David's humble petition. And his petition is this, it's found at the opening of verse 11. Teach me your way, O Lord. Teach me your way. I don't think he means by teach me your way. I don't think he's asking to be taught in the Ten Commandments. I don't think that's the case. You see, David already knows the way of the Lord. And I think what he's referring to here, because it's an, it's an acknowledgement. By the way, when we confess our sins, that's a healthy thing. To confess that our hearts are easily distracted. That's why I love that, that line in, in, in Come Thou Fount. You know, prone to wander, Lord, I fear it. Prone to leave the God I love. No truer words could ever be spoken. And so are we. And I think it's a healthy thing to recognize that our, our, our minds, our hearts, our affections are prone to wander. And when we do so, the only thing that can put us back on course is a divine action. And the divine action is not rededicate me, but teach me. And I don't think he, by teach he means give me more instructions. David knows all the rules. I, I want to look at, at the teaching. In other words, give me application of your grace towards me in this situation. In other words, if you ask David in a pop quiz, should you love your neighbor with all of your heart? He's going to answer in his sleep, yes. And he'll give you the chapter and verse where it's found. But when his neighbors are camped outside of his house looking to kill him, he might know that he should love them, but loving them is not what's on his mind. In other words, I think what David is asking for is, 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 is really to bring bear on my personal existential experiences the truth of the grace that you have given me. In three ways I'll just touch on it in passing. Teach me your ways. In other words, teach me the excellence of your ways over the excellence that I'm leaning towards. Because see, that other offer is looking pretty good right now. So teach me your ways. I, I know, but, but teach me how to apply that truth in this situation so that I would know that doing the right thing is the right thing to do. So teach me the excellence of your ways because every choice, every action that a human takes is because of our choice. And the truth of the matter is that sometimes we love evil more than we love righteousness. That's what Jonathan Edwards says. He says, the, uh, when he talks about the will, he says, the will is nothing more than the mind choosing. And the mind always chooses what it perceives to be of the highest good. But its perception of good is according to its nature. And sometimes in our fallen nature, cutting corners, 
cutting eyes <laughs> and cutting statements are better. Seems better to us than being gracious. So teach me your ways, O Lord. Teach me the excellence of your ways over the ways that my heart has been distracted by. So teach me that it's more excellent to love you and to serve you and to obey you. But secondly, I think it would also mean teach me the sufficiency of your grace. That was Paul's challenge. In 2 Corinthians, when Paul says he had a thorn in his flesh and he prayed three times that it would be removed. And I know some people, Lord, as soon as you remove it, I'm going to do this. And I, I wish again people would understand God is not putting thorns in your flesh to get work out of you. Amen. If he can make a rock do what he wants to, trust me, he can get you to do what he wants you to do, even when you don't want to do it. So for people to say, well, he put this in my flesh so that I know. Here's what Paul needed to learn. Here's what Paul needed to learn. He needed to learn that God's strength is manifest when we can't. And so he says that he prayed three times for the thorn to be removed from his flesh. And here's what Jesus told him on the third time. No, Paul, I'm not going to move it because my grace is sufficient for you. Even in this. And then he goes on to tell him that, that in your weakness, that's where my strength is manifest. It's very much, and we referenced uh, Gideon the other day, but it's very much like Gideon when Gideon had an army that was already outnumbered. And the Lord cut his, his, his 30,000 troops down to 10,000 and said, no, nope, that's way too much. You're going up against uh, about 600,000, half a million or so. No, nope, that's too many. And Gideon's like doing the math. Okay, it's only 10,000 of us. And the Lord says, no, that's still too many. And here's the reason. Because you're going to think that you did it in your power. You're going to be writing a book on how to, to, to conquer hundreds of thousands when you only have 30. He says, no, that's too many. And ended up cutting his army down to 300. So that anyone who reads the story of Gideon, if, in, in fact, if you read any books on the genius, the military genius of Gideon, burn it. book that is written about the military genius of Gideon is not a book worth reading. They haven't read the Bible. The story of Gideon is not so that we could see his military genius, but so that his faith would be reduced to the sovereign God who could. Teach me, says David. Teach me your way, O Lord. In other words, teach me not only the excellence of doing what you have commanded over what my heart desires, but teach me the sufficiency of your grace. Because when things get tight, I get antsy. So teach me the sufficiency of your grace. Teach me to trust you and not my bank account. Teach me to trust you and not how many followers I have on social media. Teach me to trust you and not my position, not my name, and not my possessions. But here's the third and final thing. I think what the Lord, what David would have if his heart is prone to wander, then he wants to be, he needs to have reinforced to him the trustworthiness of God's providence. Teach me your way, 
O Lord. In other words, not only teach me um, the excellence of your ways and teach me the sufficiency of your grace, but also teach me the trustworthiness of your providence because right now things don't look good. But teach me to trust you even when things don't look good. I think we can learn these three lessons from David, or if we learn these three lessons from David, then we would be set in a good direction for the year that is to come. If it is our daily goal to walk in the truth of what God has said, if, if it is our daily aim to, to, to seek to glorify God's name in every circumstance, in every situation, in every day, we're going to fail, but that would be a good and a worthy endeavor. And if also we come to realize that our hearts sometimes get distracted. Our hearts get distracted by external and extraneous things, and our hearts get distracted by wayward affections that we give residence to. And so the only thing that can help us is God would teach us anew not only the excellence of his ways, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof leadeth to destruction. And sometimes the right way is the lonely way, but it's still the right way. Teach us your way so that we would understand the sufficiency of your grace for every situation that you allow us to go through. And teach us your way that we would see that your providence is trustworthy. There's nothing that can frustrate the purposes of God. And there's nothing that can keep his blessings that he has intended for you from getting to you. And so don't think, well, I need to get this out of my life so I can get blessings. No, if you know that you need to get this out of your life, you're blessed. So brothers and sisters, there's nothing that's going to keep God from blessing you. And there's nothing that's going to keep you from his blessings. But our prayer for the year that is before us, even as we look back on the year that has passed, is that it would be our daily goal to walk in his truth and to ask him to unite our hearts to continuously fear his name in spite of and that he would teach us the sufficiency or the excellency of his way, the sufficiency of his grace and the trustworthiness of his providence. Because if God allows you the privilege of 20, 2019, then trust me, he's provided for you for 2019. Let's pray. Gracious God, we do come to you in the blessed name of Jesus again, thanking you for this privilege of praise and worship and fellowship. We thank you for your word that speaks to our situations. We thank you for your grace as it is manifest in Christ. And as you have given us the privilege of going through one year, we anticipate the year that is before us. And we know that you have been, you have been trustworthy. And we pray that you would strengthen us in our trust in you. Strengthen us to seek your glory in all that we do. We thank you for those who are present. We pray for those who are not here. Uh, we pray for saints and churches throughout the land. But most of all, Father, we pray that the word that has been opened to us would continue to saturate our hearts and that we would integrate it into every part of our thinking so that when we leave this place, it would be our aim 
to shape our affections and our thoughts according to what you have told us in your grace. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. So we are early and you still have time, whatever your celebrations are, both tonight and tomorrow. We pray, number one, that you have a wonderful time. Number two, that you have a safe time. And thirdly, we pray that you would uh, recognize the beauty of God's grace in granting you another day and another year. Would you please stand for our benediction? Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you faultless before his presence with exceeding joy. To the only wise God, our Savior, be power, majesty, and dominion both now and forever. Let all of God's people say, Amen. Amen.